Now you'll notice that on this table, I have a vase. Or if you're a little more culturally advanced, you'd call it a vase. So whether you want to call it a vase or a vase, I think we'll just go with container this morning. I have a container here on this table, and you'll notice that this container is on the table. You see it, right? You see, thank you. I want to know that somebody is with me this morning. You see the container on the table, correct? And would you agree with me that the container is full of air? Is that correct? Is the container full of air? Yes. Okay, good. We're tracking. Now, the container is full of air. I have a question for you. How can I get the air out of the container? Any ideas? Okay, come on. Pour something else in it. I could put something else in the container to get the air out of the container. So it was suggested down front that I could pour water into the container. I have not practiced this. So we'll see how this goes. Pouring water into the container gets the air out of the container. I have more. And we're moving the air out of the container by pouring water into uh, the container. Is it going to make it? Is it going to make it? Yes. Now we see, we recognize that the air is out of the container because the container is now full of water. Do you agree with me? The container is now full of water. This is a reality. You recognize that the container is full of water. This is a truth, correct? Good. Now in just a minute, we are going to come back to the container that is full of water. But first, I want you to remember where we have been over the last few weeks. Over the last few weeks, we began a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, in Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, we learned that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are united with Jesus. We have union with Christ, which means that we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we also learned that we have died to sin, that we're no longer slaves of sin, we are now slaves of righteousness. We then learned in Romans chapter 7 that not only have we died to sin, but we've died to the law as well. That the law does not effectively help us deal with the struggles that we have in our lives. And because we're in Christ, we've died to sin and we have died to the law. But even though we're in Christ and we've died to sin and we've died to the law, we recognize that we still have a struggle, that we can still struggle in our lives. And at the end of Romans chapter 7, that's what Paul says for us. Remember Paul says at the end of chapter 7, he says, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I ought to do. He talks about the struggle that he can have in his life. A struggle that you and I are aware of because we often struggle in our lives. Now some of you this past week may have faced that struggle. You may have faced the struggle with sin in your life. And throughout the past week, as you're facing the struggle, you may have tried to deal with it in various different ways. You may have tried to deal with your struggle 
by following rules. You may have tried to deal with your struggle by following formulas. You may have even tried to deal with your struggle by engaging in a great experience with God. But the problem is that rules, formulas, and even a great experience with God don't effectively deal with the struggle with sin that we have in our lives. You see, rules, 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 is an, rules are another way of saying the law. And two weeks ago, we learned that rules don't effectively help us deal with our struggle. The law is not powerful enough to save us, and it is not powerful enough to help us live in Christ. Remember, we said the, rule, the, the rules, the law is limited. It reveals sin, it intensifies sin, and it brings us to the end of ourselves. So rules are not effective enough to help us deal with our struggle. Formulas aren't all that good at it either. Top 10 ways to hear from God, the top three ways to pray, the top four ways to have victory over sin. Three, four, 10 ways, different formulas to help me overcome the struggle that I have with sin. But formulas don't really work that well either because they're just another form of rules. Some people try a third way, and that's by engaging in a great, wonderful experience with God. And what I'm talking about when I talk about an experience with God, I'm talking about kind of that emotional connection, that emotional high that you get when you do or have a great experience with God. But the problem with great experiences with God is they typically don't last forever. And so what happens is, is when you try to combat the struggle that you have with sin through a great, wonderful experience with God... When the experience ends, you often feel down, discouraged, and depressed. You may even feel like God is angry with you because you're not on the high of the experience. And so if you just pursue an experience to overcome your struggle with sin, you're going to be discouraged and you're going to be disappointed and you'll end up being on an emotional roller coaster up and down. So rules, formulas, and great experiences with God are not ultimately effective in helping us deal with our struggle with sin and live life in Christ. Now hear me right. I'm not saying that rules, formulas, and great experiences with God are bad. They're not. Those are good things. But they are not the most effective means of helping us live life in Christ. And often they take us away from the most effective means of living life in Christ. They can be distractions keeping us from focusing on the one thing that ultimately helps us live our life in Christ. And that one thing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person who helps us live our life in Christ. And God tells us that each one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are full of the Holy Spirit. Just like this container is full of water, just like it is a reality that it is full of water, just like you recognize that it is full of water, the reality is 
that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are full of the Holy Spirit. And we are to recognize as followers of Jesus that we are full of the Holy Spirit. It is a reality. And Romans chapter 8 helps us understand the reality of the fact that you and I are full of the Holy Spirit. So if you would turn to Romans chapter 8. It's found on page 916 if you picked up one of the Bibles on the way in. Page 916, Romans chapter 8. Last week, we learned that we as followers of Jesus experience no condemnation. We are no longer condemned because now we are in Christ Jesus and we are free to live the life that God meant for us. We're free to live life to the fullest and we're free to live life in the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, verses 5 through 17, explains the reality of life lived according to the Spirit. And there are four things from these verses that you and I this morning need to recognize to live life in Christ. Four things that we need to recognize in order to successfully live life in Christ. The first thing we must recognize, we must recognize that there are only two types of people. There are only two types of people. Look at beginning in verse 5. Paul writes, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Paul says here that there are only two kinds of people. There are those who live according to the flesh or according to our sinful nature, and those are who live in accordance with the Spirit. Those who are non-believers in Jesus and those who believe in Jesus Christ. Now this if we're honest, is a little bit uncomfortable. Last week, we learned that there's no condemnation for any of us who are in Christ Jesus. That because there is no condemnation, we're now free to live in the Holy Spirit. But now Paul here reminds us that there are only two kinds of people. There are those who live according to the flesh, and there are those who live in accordance with the Spirit. And Paul explains to us the key difference. Paul says that the key difference is that those who live according to the flesh, look at the T phrase, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. And those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So how do you know which group you're in? How do you know what type of person you are? You answer the question, what is your mind set on? Is your mind set on what the flesh desires? Or is your mind set on what the spirit desires? You see, when you become a Christian, 
God changes your mind and is changing your mind. God gives you a new way of thinking. He is renewing your mind. He, in essence, gives you a new world view. A worldview is, is, is the way of, of labeling a philosophy of life. It's the lens, if you will, that you look through the world and in which you see the world. Your worldview is a way at, of looking at life. It's the way you look and view everything. And everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a certain lens through which they look to view the world. And for the Christian, the worldview is centered on what the Spirit desires. Your mind is set on what the Spirit desires. In contrast, if your mind is set on what the flesh desires, you are going to have a different worldview. Your worldview is essentially going to be centered upon yourself. It is going to be a worldview that says, I am the most important thing that exists. It is a me and me first mentality. Whatever benefits me is what is primary. You'll be thinking about things like having more money, having more power, having more fame, having more pleasure, having more leisure. If your mind is set on what the flesh desires... You will be thinking of your wants, your needs, and the things that you want to do. And ultimately, you will not, ultimately, you will not be thinking about what God wants, but you will be the center of everything in your own eyes. Now, I want to pause here for a minute. Because I've just said that Paul says there's only two types of people. There's those whose mind is set on what the flesh desires, and those whose mind is set on what the Spirit desires. There are those who are not Christians, and there are those who are Christians. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking, well, my mind occasionally thinks sinful thoughts. And not only that, I, I occasionally do sinful things. Well, guess what? Me too. When Paul says here that your mind is set, what he has in mind is a continual action, a lifestyle of thought and a lifestyle of deed. So you occasionally, as followers of Jesus Christ, do think bad thoughts and you do actually do sinful things. We all do. That is not who Paul is talking about here and it is not the distinction he is trying to make. In fact, even the fact that you are concerned about that is evidence that your mind is set on things of the Spirit. Because it, people whose mind is set on things of the flesh aren't concerned about that type of thing. They don't care what they do, and ultimately they don't care about pleasing God. Paul says that there are two types of people. Those whose minds are set on things of the flesh and those whose mind are set on things of the Spirit. If your mind is set on what the Spirit desires, you will primarily be concerned with showing love and caring about others. You will be into helping others. You will be into speaking the truth. And ultimately, you will be thinking about what it is 
that pleases God and brings him glory. You look at life's events and circumstances from God's point of view, not from the world's point of view. Your focus is ultimately on God's glory and on his purposes in your life. And not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. Now look what happens to those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. Look at verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Now look what it says. This is what that means. Thinking and living according to the flesh brings death. And that's just not death at the end of your life. That is death right now here in this life. And a mind that is focused on the things of the Spirit, look what it says, brings life and peace. And that life and peace is life and peace now. Now here's the thing. We often, I know I've done it over the last couple of weeks, I have said over the last couple of weeks that if you live life in Christ, you will experience full and free life. And if you choose to sin in your life and live a lifestyle of sin, you will experience some form of death. Well, those are very broad terms. So I would like to break down this morning what Paul means by death and what Paul means by life. What does it mean to experience death? And what does it mean to experience life? Well, when you look throughout the Bible, when you look throughout Scripture, death basically comes down to four things. There are four ways in which death presents itself in this life, and these are the four things that death is. Death is fear, guilt, hostility, emptiness. If your mind is set on fleshly desires, if you are living according to your flesh, you will ultimately experience fear, guilt, hostility, and emptiness. And you will experience them in various forms. Look at little closer at what fear and guilt and hostility and emptiness look like. Fear is worry, anxiety, dread, timidity. Guilt, shame, self-hatred, self-righteousness, perfectionism. Hostility, resentment, bitterness, revenge, cruelty, emptiness, loneliness, depression, discouragement, despair, and meaningless. If you are living according to the flesh, if your mind is set on fleshly desires, that is going to be your life. You understand what I'm saying? These are the symptoms of death. When you choose to live according to the flesh, when you choose to sin, this is what you experience. And even for us as Christians, if we choose to wake up tomorrow morning and choose to live like the world lives around us, if we choose to react like the world reacts around us, if we choose to think like the world thinks, if we choose to do what the world does, these are the symptoms that are going to be present in our lives. This is what it means to experience death. If you're living according to the flesh, your mind will be set on fleshly things and you will experience some symptom of death. But Paul says, if you live according to the Spirit, you will experience life. So what death is, life is just the opposite. If death is 
fear, then life is trust, hope, and confidence. If death is guilt, then life is acceptance, security, and assurance. If death is hostility, then life is love, friendliness, kindness, reaching out to others. If death is emptiness, then life is well-being, fulfillment, excitement, vitality, and purpose. Which do you want? Do you want death or do you want life? Paul says there's only two types of people. There's those who live according to their flesh and they get death. And there is those who live according to the spirit and if you choose the spirit, you choose life. There's only two types of people. Paul then begins to speak directly to Christians. Look at what he says directly to Christians, to those who have their minds set on what the spirit desires. He's talking directly to followers of Jesus. He wants us to recognize that we have the Spirit. The second thing that you're to recognize if you're a Christian is you have the Spirit. The water is in the container. It's a reality. Look at verse 9. You, however, he's talking to Christians. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you." The water is in the container. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit. I have the Spirit, and the Spirit lives inside of each one of us who are followers of Jesus. It is very clear from these verses. Look what it says. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Jesus. Verse 9 gives a clear definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a person who has the Spirit of Christ within them. Jesus recognizes this truth as well. Look at what he promised in John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. This is Jesus saying this. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is what he is saying to his disciples. Paul continues the same kind of idea, the same kind of thought in 1 Corinthians 6, where he writes, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. Now, I want you to notice one thing. Notice how the word spirit is used here. Notice in these verses that he's called the Spirit of God, called the Spirit of Christ. Jesus refers to him as the Spirit of Truth. I want you to know that all these references, all these titles, refer to the same person. They refer to the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit lives inside of every person who is a Christian. Now the question is, what is it that that Spirit of God living inside of you does? Look at verses 10 and 11. 
we see from verses 10 and 11 that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives life. What was alluded to in verse 6 is now made explicit and is specifically stated in verses 10 and 11. The Spirit of God is giving you life here and eternally. And remember what life is. Life is trust and hope and confidence. Life is acceptance, security, assurance. Life is love, kindness, friendliness, hospitality, reaching out to others. And life is a sense of well-being, fulfillment, excitement, vitality, and purpose. The Holy Spirit living inside of us gives each one of us life. We also know from other areas of the Bible that the Holy Spirit does other things. And I have a brief list for you. The Spirit living in us washes us and renews us sanctifies us and renews our mind, seals our faith so that we stay true to God, intercedes for us. The Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. The Spirit of God living inside of us illumines Scripture. That means it helps us to understand what is written in the Bible, empowers us, stirs our hearts, and directs our wills. The Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Just like the container is full of water, we need to recognize that there are two types of people and we need to recognize that if we are living according to the Spirit, the Spirit of God lives inside of each one of us. Now the third thing that we need to recognize is that we have an obligation. Yes, we have an obligation. Look at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, I know some of you are thinking, some of you are thinking, this is a sermon on the Holy Spirit, and I was hoping to get out of here without having to do anything. I was hoping that Tom would get up and say, the Holy Spirit is ultimately powerful, and he can do whatever it is that he chooses to do, and whatever it is that God wants him to do, and I'm not going to have to do anything at all. Well, these verses tell us that that is not the case, that we have an obligation, and our obligation is to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Now, some translations use the word mortify, and that means to kill, that we have an obligation as followers of Jesus Christ to kill the misdeeds of the body to put away the sin in our lives, to kill that sin. Too often, we sit back and we think to ourselves, yeah, I sin. Yeah, I think bad things, but it's okay. God will forgive me. He's going to forget this, and I'm going to be able to live my life in Christ. Too often we don't take our sin seriously enough. And here Paul says, put to death the misdeeds of the body. What he is saying is that it is necessary, it is essential for you to slaughter yes. your sin. Yes. 
We cannot sit back and think that our sin is not going to have an effect on our lives. We cannot sit back and think that the sins we think and the sins that we commit are not going to bring some symptom of death into our life. So Paul says, slaughter that sin. Kill that sin. Don't let that sin reign in your life. In Colossians 3, look at how he puts it here. In Colossians 3, he says very similarly, put to death, therefore, slaughter, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul says to you and to me, slaughter the sin in your life. Now, I know, I know and I recognize that we need help. I know you need help slaughtering your sin because I know I need help slaughtering my sin. And this is the encouraging part to me. This is the encouraging part of this passage because Paul recognizes, God recognizes that we cannot slaughter our sin by ourselves. So look what he says in the second half of verse 13. We're to do this by the Spirit. Underline that phrase, by the Spirit. It is the key to slaughtering the sin in your life. It is not a matter of me slaughtering my sin alone or you slaughtering the sin in your life alone. It's clear that I cannot just sit back and do nothing. It's clear that the Holy Spirit will not do it without me. It's not an either or, it's a both and. There is a partnership that exists between you and the Spirit, just like there is a partnership that exists between me and the Spirit of God. I must do it by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit chooses to do it through me. These are complementary, not contradictory truths. The same idea is found in Philippians 2. Look at what Philippians 2 says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, look at what Paul's instruction is. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I must do it, but God who is working in me is also partnering with me to help me do it. He has his role and I have my responsibility. There is a partnership that exists between me and the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the partnership is to slaughter the sin that I have in my life. The purpose of the partnership that you have with the Holy Spirit is to slaughter the sin that you have in your life. Now I know that many of you are struggling with some sin. You may be struggling this morning with anger, You may be struggling with lust. You may be struggling with greed. You may be struggling with fear, with anxiety. You may be struggling with substance abuse. I know that there is some sin that you are struggling with this morning. And I also know something else. I know that you can slaughter the sin. Now, here's the deal. 
I know in times in your mind you think I cannot do it. I have tried. I've tried to follow rules. I've tried to follow formulas. I've tried to follow experience. And I cannot do it. I have tried. You don't know how this sin has a hold of me. Yes, I do. And I also know that you can slaughter the sin. Now, it is not because you have enough willpower. It's not because you have enough perseverance. It's not because you have enough strength. It is because you have a partnership with the Holy Spirit, and he has enough willpower, he has enough perseverance, and he has enough strength. Because in that partnership, together, you can slaughter the sin and avoid the symptoms of death. Do not take the sin lightly. Recognize that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is going to partner with you and is going to slaughter that sin so that you will not experience symptoms of death. You will experience the fullness of life. Because the Spirit resides inside of you, you now have the freedom to be obedient and experience life in Christ. We must recognize that there are only two types of people, those who live according to the flesh and those who live in accordance with the Spirit. We must recognize that as followers of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you have an obligation in partnership with the Holy Spirit to slaughter your sin. Now, the final thing we must recognize. Look at verses 12 through 17. As Christians, we must recognize that we have a new identity. Verse 12, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you may live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory." Look how Paul describes believers. Look how Paul describes you as a follower of Jesus Christ. He calls us, he calls you children and a child of God. The term child of God speaks of an intimate relationship that you have with God. Now look back at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. This verse means that not everyone is a child of God. Those who are children of God are people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is to them that God gives the right to become a child of God. Now, there is a general conception and understanding that everyone's a child of God. Everyone is created by God, but everyone is not a child of God. You are a child of God if the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And if that's the case, God says you are his son or you are his daughter. And he says to call him Abba. Abba. It's an intimate term of relationship. It's the idea of daddy. Because we are God's children, 
He says, come to me and call me daddy. One of the things that I miss most from the time when my children were young was that they called me daddy. And there's something special about that title, daddy. It speaks to the intimacy that a child has with its father. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here, that the relationship that you have with God is special. It's unique. It's intimate. And he wants you to call him daddy. And I will tell you, no matter what my children call me, If they ever do call me and they say, Dad, I need you, I will drop everything to go to help them. It's the same way with your Heavenly Father. When you call out to Him and say, Daddy, I need you, He answers. And He comes running because you are His child. That is your identity. And the world tells you that your identity is based upon your race. The world tells you that your identity is based on what you can do or what you can't do. The world tells you that your identity is based upon your gender. The world tells you that your identity is based upon your sexual orientation. The world tells you that your identity is based upon how much money you have or how much money you don't have or what job you have or what job you don't have or what you do or what you don't do. That is false. Your identity is that you are a child of God. Do you understand what that means? That you have an intimate relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe. He has asked you to call him daddy. You no longer walk according to the flesh. You now walk according to the spirit. You no longer live in darkness. You now live in light. You are no longer blind. You can now see. You are no longer dead. You are now alive. Why? Because your identity is that you are a child of God. Don't you ever forget that. Know these things, that life in Christ means that there are two types of people, those who live according to the flesh and those who walk according to the Spirit. And for those who walk according to the Spirit, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And that Spirit of God living inside of you gives you the freedom and the ability to kill, to slaughter the sin that is in you, and ultimately... More important than all of that, it means that you are a child of God. 